How's it, internet? And welcome to Two Guys in SharePoint. The only SharePoint show in South Africa where everything is not made up and there are no points. Greetings, Al. <laughs> How's it, Mr. Modern? Yeah, good, bro. Working hard. Apparently so. You've been off the radar for a few days now. Yeah, crunch time, hey? We put in the hours, we make it work. That's what we do. Yeah, but uh, I think they 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 slave driving you there, mate. Uh, I'm slave driving myself. I hate to see a project fail. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, you're the victim of your own success, hey? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of success. Yes, we've got a killer guest for the listeners this week. Yeah, he's one of the brightest sparks I've ever spoken to. And he's the only man that's been able to articulate uh, what the SharePoint framework is. Um, these opinions are his own and they're not ours, just in case he pisses off some people, which is entirely possible, and he has apologized profusely for that. So without any further ado, uh, we'd like to introduce Andrew Connell to the room. And welcome, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in this week. And we're very excited to have an international guest with us. And surprisingly enough, it's his birthday today. Welcome, Andrew Connell. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. So I think you are the first person that we've ever had on that's got, no, we've had Seb that had some some dev stuff, but apparently you are the go-to guy for all things SharePoint dev. <laughs> wow, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's flattering to hear you say that. I appreciate that. But this is what we've been told on the Twitterati's and all of those things. So um, uh, a little birdie by the name of Sandy said that you are the go-to guy. I've, sounds like I've got a bunch of people fooled then. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been around the block for, for a good number of years now. So can you uh, tell us a bit about where you started and, and what happened and why you got into the ill-fated SharePoint platform? <laughs> sure, no problem. Uh, so uh, this goes way back. But uh, I used to work for a Fortune 200, Fortune 100. I can't remember what it was at the time. But back um, 2002, 2003-ish time, uh, and I was in charge. I ran the, the development team that was responsible for. It was a banking company, and I but I ran the development team that did everything for our internal intranet and our external .com site. And at the time, uh, I was uh, a Microsoft Content Management Server developer, a .NET wow. developer, <laughs> and a CMS guy. And uh, so we we had just launched our dot-com facing site. We were going to go start to work on our, our redo, our intranet site, which is a bespoke thing. And we were looking at a bunch of different uh, portal platforms uh, at the time. And all of a sudden we got word from our, um, from corporate that said, Hey, we just signed an EA with Microsoft. So you're going to use SharePoint. I'm like, that's funny. That was number four on our list, but um, okay. <laughs> and so we started doing that. We, and uh, it just, it got into where I, I learned more and more about how, SharePoint Portal Server 2003 worked, and we found that we had a content management need for it. And so we merged, we actually took CMS and SharePoint and we merged the two together um, to give us content management capabilities inside of Portal Server 2003. And for some of your listeners may be familiar with a project back then called Jupyter, which Microsoft was taking CMS, Commerce Server, and SharePoint, putting them together. We did two of the three, and it was kind of funny because we were successful and Microsoft sent like two or three consultants down and like, hey, how did you guys do that? And <laughs> try and learn some stuff that we did. Yeah, but, you've, um, you've met Zlatan, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so funny story, just on the back of your CMS days, 
Uh, we did a project, a migration project for quite a large concern in South Africa and the architects that spec the original solution completely skipped CMS and said, okay, we're moving to, to Moss, to SharePoint uh, 2007. And they called us in, well, more so Zlatan than me, but to move content out of CMS and upgrade and port it across to to Moss was a, a, a crazy task at the time. Oh, yeah, it definitely was. And that, that's really where uh, I kind of found my space, where I was – Prior to all that time, I was a I was a bespoke CMS kind of person that was doing custom CMS, um, web-based CMS for a bunch of different different scenarios, and it wasn't. I guess Microsoft Content Management Server was my first platform that I worked with. Uh, once that you know we saw Microsoft was going to take CMS and SharePoint and put the two together in uh, 2007, I just naturally kind of gravitated to that space, and it was kind of funny because. Nobody else was really focusing on that, and everybody that was doing SharePoint at the time didn't understand. They understood collaboration, but they did not understand content management and how that publishing model worked. And it was just kind of natural to me, so I kind of I, I lucked out and just was in the right place at the right time uh, as far as, like, filling a, a gap that there was a bunch of business that was growing in that area and from the SharePoint side, and Microsoft was pushing it really hard because the licenses were really expensive and – so I, I just I was in a great spot for um, not only doing learning the you know the core SharePoint development stuff plus knowing the the CMS based stuff. So it was um, that's really where I I cut my teeth uh, with SharePoint and then from there on out it's been working with every single development model um, that Microsoft has come out with for <laughs> SharePoint uh, it's been with a every few. release. <laughs> There's been a few, and I don't think we've seen. We definitely haven't seen. The, I mean, you know, it's a it's it's technology, so we're definitely not going to see the last one. Uh, I just hope that we we stop seeing. I hope that the one that we we now have is going to be the um, the last one that is a full on code reset, where all your old stuff didn't isn't isn't really migratable in a sense. Yeah, but they've gone from your typical WSP STP stuff, and then they said, well, here's the app model, and then they reflavored it, and then. GA for the SharePoint framework is what now? And now they're talking about that and they're throwing in a whole bunch of other sort of non-Microsoft-focused technologies to get the greater crowd to start diving on top of Microsoft. And do you think that's the right approach? Um, I I don't know. I, it's going to be really – it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. So I, I've got some pretty strong feelings. i got some pretty strong opinions, and then I'm just really curious to see where it goes. So – I, I love the direction that the SharePoint team is going in the sense that, you know, I like the direction they were going with the add-in model, which is let's get our stuff outside of SharePoint and stop building on top of SharePoint. I'm one of those just pure developers that does not think that SharePoint is a good development platform. Okay. Um, and so I, I haven't been a big fan of, of SharePoint as a dev platform for a couple of years. And I, I kept trying to make it work with 2007 and 2010, but I'd say about three years ago, uh, I finally got to the point where I, I essentially just had enough and was just like, you know what? I'd rather be doing provider-hosted apps so that all my stuff I can focus on being outside of SharePoint and I can use Azure or whatever public cloud I want or IIS internally, and I can have my own CI, CD, and testing and whatever tech I want to use, I can leverage the best-of-breed stuff that's out there and not rely on Microsoft uh, or specifically the SharePoint team for providing me a good development platform. That's not their sweet spot. Yeah. And so I like the direction they're going with the SharePoint framework and saying, you know, when you boil it down, 
all of your customizations are all going to run client side. I'm a big fan of that. If you want to do anything server side, you've got to host it yourself. And oh yeah, by the way, we give you a bunch of APIs to get to to the data inside SharePoint or inside of Office 365. Generally speaking, I really like that approach. The the part that I think is a little that's there's a couple different aspects that I think are going to be really interesting to watch um, and that I'm a little confused about with how the team has done it. So from the get-go, uh, one or two of these things I'm going to say are probably going to be a bit controversial. <laughs> well, I may not win too many times at Redmond That's when fine. I say it. Um, they've heard me say it at least, but I mean, they don't, I don't, I, but they, the, the one that, you know, when they first came out with this, they were like, you know, we want to bring that this SharePoint development to modern web development. And to me, that says two things. Number one, they want traditional SharePoint developers, people like us have been doing SharePoint development for a while. They want to bring us along to be able to do this the this new style of development. Well, excuse me, new as far as traditional SharePoint development is concerned. It's, very, it's not at all new. It's been around for a while. But they want to get us familiar and working in this model. Um, but then they also want to reach out to, you know, the people that, you know, some people refer to them as script kitties or the people that are doing like Node.js based development or Angular okay. or React. Yeah. And they want those guys to come on with the SharePoint platform. And the thing that that I think is, I like the the approach to that. The the thing that, that concerns me about it is that I wonder if they're even hitting either one of those marks. And I say that for, for two reasons. On the bringing the traditional SharePoint guys over to... Um, this new model, the thing that's, that concerns me is that they, if you want a traditional SharePoint developer to adopt this new model, they're going to go with Visual Studio, and they have no dev tools for Visual Studio. And so you're forcing them to learn a whole new tool chain. You're forcing them to learn um, all this new, this new, these build tools and stuff that they're not familiar with. And that's an uphill battle for, you know, the traditional slash enterprise developer. So uh, that that part's going to be interesting, and we'll, I'll talk more about like some stuff that I've done around that to try and help people. But the other side too is you want to reach out to those script kiddies of the people who are not traditional SharePoint developers. And the problem I see that they've done with that is that their build toolchain is so heavily Microsofted up um, that while they're using core open source you know tools that were very that are very familiar to a lot of people like Webpack and Gulp and Note and Yeoman and stuff like that. They've done so much stuff around it that, I mean, I've, I've sat with them in the rooms and they explained why they did it, why they explained a rig and everything, but I, I don't I don't fully buy in to their reasoning on why they had to do certain things. And I wonder if they're just going to completely miss that crowd of just saying, God, you guys have taken something that the whole, you know, everyone is, is already using and that we're all familiar with, and you've tried to do all this stuff to reimagine it when it didn't really any, it did not need that. It was just fine how it was. And so... It's going to be really interesting to see where the adoption comes from. Um, today, it's only SharePoint developers that are that are really looking at this, and it's because they really have no other option to customize modern sites. So, if they wanted, if they want to continue to customize SharePoint, they've got to learn the SharePoint framework. But they're being forced to learn these new tools. Me personally, I, I love the tool chain. I love the tool set. I love the fact they don't need to use Visual Studio. Uh, but it's just going to be—it's going to be really interesting to see how companies and enterprise developers and traditional SharePoint developers really embrace this model. I think also from our side. Look, the last time I coded, I, I can—I can read code. I come from a coding background. And when I say coding, I talk about COBOL. 
But I understand, oh, oh, and I've messed around with Java and all of these things. And the script kitty thing, the pseudo developers that goes and grabs some jQuery somewhere and drop, uh, does a REST call and drops it on a page with Knockdown, um, JS or whatever, and presto, they're rendering some cool stuff. There's a lot of that coming through, and it's, it's also very difficult for developers to understand. I mean, I've had questions around, okay, so, so what is the SharePoint framework? And what you explained now is probably the most concise answer to the question. So, so how do we see this? What do we do with this? Uh, where is it? What is it? Because if you go to dev.office.com um, or whatever the, the, the dev URL is, and VESA and them talk about this is what the SharePoint framework is. There's nearly, there's really no concise answer. And it's great that Microsoft's opening up the ecosystem saying, well, we want the dream weavers of the world. Um, come in and come talk to us and see how you can integrate with us and move everything out of SharePoint and offer, offer everyone like you call the script kiddies. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Here's yeah. some Office Fabric and here's some React and here's some Node and uh, take this and do something with it. Uh, I, I'd usually split it up into, okay, there's back-end developers and there's front-end developers natively. And I see the back-end guys looking at SharePoint Framework and the front-end guys looking at the Fabric UI stuff or the Office UI stuff um, around that. Would that be an, um, an accurate sort of representation in layman's terms? Yeah, I think it is. I think that I think that this is you know what you're what you're hitting on is the is something I have heard from a lot of different people. Where um, so I a couple of months ago I I decided to do something new. Well, not something new, but I decided to package a different way. Where I'm doing video based training. Um, I've done it in the past, but I'm doing it this time on my own. And my first class is on the SharePoint framework. And when I started, you know, talking to people about this, and I asked them. What's the biggest thing that's tripping you up overwhelmingly? And when I say overwhelming, I mean like 90, 95% plus people are saying that the, the thing that they're having trouble with is understanding the tool chain. They're like, I don't understand why I need to become a node developer or, or use Gulp or Webpack or any of that stuff. Or what is Office UI Fabric? And the sad thing is that none of this stuff has anything to do directly with the SharePoint framework. All of it is used to simply help you create or to take the creations you've, you've built and generate them down to a JavaScript file that is going to be deployed to SharePoint to run or deployed to a CD and a register with SharePoint to run. And so that the, the, the disappointing part then is that, you know, you've got this barrier that you've put in front of everyone, and that's the thing that's causing the most friction to get to the work that you've actually done to make the SharePoint framework. So... Uh, I, I think that to me, if I had to, if I had to really distill down, you know, what this whole SharePoint framework thing is, is it's simply a way for how we used, how some people used to do JavaScript injection, things like using container web part, script editor web part to make customizations to SharePoint. It's simply taking that that model and giving us a reliable packaging deployment and upgrade story for deploying those customizations. That, in, in a nutshell, that is all it is. The, the part that is tripping people up is, okay, how do I build it? And that's the dev tool chain. So that's the part that I've spent the most, I've spent a bunch of time on um, thus far. And just like a couple weeks ago, uh, your listeners can actually go to my site, uh, go to voitanos.io uh, or just my blog, andrewcollin.com, and there's a link on my site that, that takes you to it as well. I, I put together like a little 10-day email course that just walks you through over the course of 10 days, drops an email in your inbox and says, all right, 
we're going to tackle this part today. It takes about two to four or five minutes to read through each one of them. And the idea is not to do anything with the SharePoint framework, but just to demystify what this build tool chain is. And uh, I think that Microsoft could have done a better job in explaining this and specifically leaving out, you know, mentioning some tools, but there's one, there's one slide at all their conferences and all their sessions they've done that to me, um, they're missing. And that's just the, the, the two minute discussion to simply say, there's this build tool chain, there's all these new terms in it. You need to only worry about these two things and the rest of it, you can dig deeper and learn more, but, and we're, and we're using those things, but you only need to understand these two things in order to be to, to build stuff for the, the SharePoint framework. And it greatly simplifies stuff from the people I've talked to. They say it makes life you know, a heck of a lot easier when you focus on it like that. I think 75% of people don't, need, don't really even need to care about the fact that we're using Webpack or that we're using Gulp or that we're using Yeoman. You just need to remember one command to run, understand how to use NPM, and it's in your best interest to go learn TypeScript uh, but that's it. But it's, it's, I suppose from my side, it, it's, it looks all very confusing. I, I'm not a developer, but we started seeing this probably about, about nine to 10 months ago with Yeoman and all of those things. If you look at the European Collaboration Summit last year, well, it was still called uh, SPC Adriatics. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, the fullest sessions were the dev sessions, like completely mm, yep. packed standing room only. And they were talking about Angular and React and Node and all of those things. And, and those were the topics that were covered because everyone was sprawling for information. Where do we start? How do we go about doing this? What is Microsoft's direction? How do we customize Office 365, the SharePoint online component? Because everyone's used to the traditional me mechanism of doing it on-prem. And now all of a sudden Microsoft's gone and flipped it upside down. Said, no, you're not going to do that anymore. No sandbox code, boom, let's move on. You need to start adopting all these new strategies. So it's great for people that are getting into the industry or getting into the SharePoint development components or being introduced to, okay, we're moving to SharePoint online. This is the framework and you have to learn that. But for people that have been working a specific way for more than five years, it's like getting older and having to learn a new language versus learning a new language when you're five. Right, right. It's, I mean, it's tough. It, it's you're when you're trying to change the way that everybody is doing stuff. It's an uphill battle, and I, that's well. Thankfully for me, it was a training business. That's a good thing for me, right? Because that yeah. gives me a lot of opportunity. <laughs> it does. Um, but for for Microsoft uh, and the SharePoint team, it I think it it definitely introduces one heck of a challenge for them. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see how they try to how, how they try to message this, how they try to go through the massage and make sure that all of this is going to be okay. So it's going to be interesting. Just on your, training, interesting. on your training stuff, uh, have you seen a change in, in how people consume training? I mean, it's, it's also quite a hot topic for us right now. How, the type of people, I mean, Simon Sinek, and I'll keep hopping on about Simon Sinek and his claim to fame now over the last three, four months around the problem with millennials, because we're hiring millennials at an abundant rate. Jeff Shuey talks about it all the time. Are you seeing millennials come through the on-demand, must-have-it-now generation? And have, you are doing different types of training now, but have you adopted or adapted your training to feed that type of attention span that millennials now have? 
Yeah, I'm I've, I'm changing the way I'm doing stuff. I mean, and it's it's frankly, it's in a direct response to that stuff, um, to those things you just brought up. Okay. So, I mean, I've done I've done I guess back in I've owned a training company that did uh, in-person classroom-based training. Um, some people may be familiar with Critical Path Training. That yep. I, I co-founded that back in 2009 with uh, Ted Patterson, and yeah. 2013 decided I wanted to do something different. Um, and then I did a bunch of video-based training for for a couple different providers. I guess people may be familiar with my stuff on Pluralsight. Yes. But the thing that that uh, the thing that always frustrated me was, and you know, this is true really with anything that you if you present at a conference or if you try and teach or publish a book or anything like that, uh, the you always have to work within somebody else's framework and someone else's guidelines. And, and if you have unique ideas and approaches, you can't change that. And you can't, you can't implement those in somebody else's pattern. So that's why I did my own thing. Now, the biggest thing that I see that I, where I want to change stuff up um, is be creating what I'm calling like an evergreen course where you don't have to wait for everything to be finished with the course before you start before you before it's available to to go buy and go start using it, but it's also when you buy the course, you you want to be able you want to know that that course is going to be updated. Um, you want to make sure that you know. To me, I don't want to have like say you know a bunch of fifteen to twenty five minute videos that are out there. That's that that most people don't want to don't want to learn that way. They want to use an online course. A lot of them don't sit through. From the stats that I've seen from people that have watched my courses uh, and other people's courses, they don't want to start and, and do a, a technical course the same way they do like a novel. They don't start at the beginning and then just sit down for two, three, four hours and watch the whole thing. Yeah. Instead, they want to get something done, and they're trying to solve a problem. And that's the way I like to do it as well. I like to you know, I'm gonna buy a course. I may watch a little bit of it you know, but you know, to get a feel for it. And to maybe start getting productive, but then I'm going to turn the course off and go try and build something. And then if I get stuck on, you know, how do I call the SharePoint REST API or how do I authenticate with Azure AD, then I'm going to go find that part of the course that I bought and I'm going to go watch those two or three clips. And maybe there's more stuff around it, but I want to be able to easily find it. And not only that, but the part that no one else really provides that I'm really looking forward to is being able to look and see, like, the activity level on specific parts of a course. So like I have the, and all of this can get into a whole you know debate about people can start getting scared about privacy and all that kind of stuff, but it's not, you know, I don't care particularly about the individual that's doing it. I just want to see a trend. And so if, if I've got a video that's got, you know, let's say three minutes long that shows you how to do, you know, something, go create a new application in Active Directory, or how do I deploy my JavaScript file that I built for the SharePoint framework to an Azure CDN? If I see people watching that video over and over and over, the same video multiple times, or maybe a part of that video multiple times, that tells me, it tells me a couple different things. It tells me that either A, it's not clear enough, or B, people need more help there, or C, it's a really hot area that people might want to learn something more about. And so I want to be able to not turn, you know, build more videos and try and sell them to them. I want to give more value to people who've already bought the class and update that video with additional stuff or add it with, you know, little places to kind of, you know, jump down the rabbit hole. Like, hey, here's CD, Azure CDN. You can go a lot deeper here. You can get the overview, but you can go a lot deeper and do a bunch more configuration stuff. And so those kinds of things, the other platforms that I've worked with and explored, I think I've looked at about 15 of them, they don't give you that same kind of 
insight and the ability to respond to that to that demand at a very at a good cadence and and wrap at a good clip and uh, I'm very much looking forward to doing that. I I wish that I could be you know delivering I show stuff to customers. I wish I could show stuff to people a lot more stuff today. But like you said, we just went GA with a, with the SharePoint framework just last week, and so uh, I've learned my lesson uh, working with APIs in their pre-release state that yeah. I didn't want to <laughs> do it. Invest a significant amount of time recording demos that were all going to have to be re-recorded and released right away after after V1 came out. So yeah. I'm now feverishly going back and and getting stuff done right now and producing stuff. So I'll have something very soon for people in the next next couple of weeks. So. But that's also the question at the rate that Microsoft releases technology now. And we, we were talking about the other day, because in the old days when everything was on-prem, we talked about, okay, so South Africa is a year and a half, two years behind Australia, and Australia is 18 months behind the rest of the world. But with Office 365, everything is ubiquitous. So mm -hmm. when a GA is a GA is to the world, not just to a specific country, it does. And that's, I mean, we're even seeing the challenge of that today, right? Because when you have, you know, big rollouts and, and this isn't, you know, this isn't exclusive just to Microsoft because a lot of people deal with this. Um, today with Microsoft, they was today's Tuesday and last Thursday, I think it was, is when they announced GA for the SharePoint framework. Well, the dev tools were out for, for version one and your tenant might have been updated for version one, but the person right next to you, their tenant might not have been updated yet for version one. That's happening over the course of all of this week and next week to roll all those tenant to get all the tenants rev to get the latest version. So you have to be, it, it's, it's true. First of all, it, that's, that part is tricky because, you know, we're going from a, a pre-release version to a release version. So you're not going to see, you know, the, the reason that, that I held off on doing the recordings is that, you know, Microsoft isn't bound by the same support boundaries on pre-release stuff that they are with release stuff. Um, and so when they roll out a version, you know, a, a patched, a patch for version 1.0 and that, or new features for 1.0, that's not going to break everything that was done in the past. That's not the truth. That, that's not that same statement is not true though, for stuff that was done in the preview releases, like with the developer preview release candidates. So, I, you know, we have to we have to be as developers. We have to be aware of the fact that things are could be changing under our feet, and so you have to be careful about what you're going to rely on. And that's the I think that's where Microsoft really started to move in this direction a little bit more when they were making more changes to Office 365, and you know the people that are used to doing the client side dev uh, JavaScript injection stuff, they were trying to to you know do their stuff on the in the browser. But constantly, they were both breaking each other's things. And it was very uh, – everybody was working in a very reactionary mode. There was no single contract that we could all abide by. Uh, and it just took a while for us to kind of learn how to work together um, but on both sides, from Microsoft side or specifically from the Office side and from third-party developers. But, you know, this isn't a – I don't think this is a, a, an issue that is uh, specific to Microsoft. If you look at someone like how Facebook does their rollouts – uh, when they do a new rollout, you know, they have, if their developers have enough, they have like a scoring system internally. And if their developers have enough of a high enough score, uh, someone can implement a new feature in Facebook, commit the code, and that starts going through a whole automated process where it'll automatically roll into production. So first they'd call it different rings. So like the first, you know, 10 servers get it 
and have all this instrumentation that's watching the servers to see if there's any errors or slowness on the server or anything like that, if things are good after a certain amount of time, it rolls up to the next ring of 100 servers, and then it goes on again to 1,000 to 10,000, all the way up to all of their servers. They have 50,000 servers that they have powering Facebook. If there's a if there's a more junior developer, they don't have that ability to say, you know, push out in the production. There's got to be a code review, and then someone with more senior can say, roll it out. But that just shows you too that you know the same experience that we have with Office 365 today. That's an experience that is not new to Microsoft. That's been or that's maybe new to Office, but it's not new to the rest of the industry. And this whole idea of rolling releases and you may not be on the latest version and having to be able to, to develop in a certain way and make sure that you're defending yourself against things that are changing under your feet, um, it, it takes a lot. I mean, it's a, the, most, the best part about Office 365 is you get so much stuff out of the box right away for a very low cost. Yeah. They, they want to give us developers a way to extend it. Well, we have to be able to play within those rules that gives them the ability to rapidly innovate and roll those things out. And Microsoft has to give us a way to be able to do that successfully without having our customizations that we do for their customers uh, breaking under breaking on, on behalf of our customers when Microsoft decides to you know change a semicolon in a CSS file somewhere. Yeah. So it's it's literally so, that simple to break something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it definitely can, right? It was I, I was reading something today. It was a, a joke about it. It's like you know, if you're a um, you're a normal developer and you miss a semicolon, ah, eh, you know, a site goes offline. If you're an aerospace engineer and you miss a semicolon, a hundred people die. <laughs> so, you know, it, it all depends. It, it just it it we have to be you have to think in a little bit of a different way. And so I think that you know for those SharePoint developers that are out there that are that are are really you know they don't like the change and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's if you want to keep building for SharePoint on prem, then by all means go for it. But you know, companies are are that's that's expensive for companies to maintain. And if they can get off of it, they're moving to Office 365 as fast as they can. You you may not see it with your specific customer, but if you just pay attention to the quarterly reports that come out of Microsoft, I mean, Office 365 is the driver for all of their cloud revenue beyond Azure by a significant margin. So it is their growth is just is absolutely in, insane. This is the direction that it's going. We, you just got to learn how to play by their rules and jump on board, or you can try and fight it. But I mean, it's like trying to trying to swim upstream. You're going to have a hard time doing that all the time. Uh, it's good. It's good the direction that Microsoft's taking. How, how do you keep up with, with like you say, you record a. Uh, it was when was it? It was SharePoint Saturday South Africa. It was in October, and mm -hmm. both Sa Sandy was doing a session on pipes and flow, and uh, Matthew Hughes was doing a session on I think groups and teams and we literally had SharePoint Saturday capture on the Saturday and by the time we got to Port Elizabeth on the road trip by the Wednesday they had to update their demos because the code <laughs> it literally changed over last over two days because new features were added and some features were deprecated and then Microsoft's also pushing in okay go build an app inside of Teams um, how do you keep up with all of that because if you're going to offer training Three days later, you might go and say, okay, I'm adding an extra 57 seconds to this training bid and republishing it because things have changed. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. I mean, it's, it's funny you gave that example, but I'll give you one, that, I'll give you one that's even more dramatic to me. I, I, I did a webinar for uh, back at the end of January. I think it was January 31st. And 
I, I ran through my demo. I made sure everything worked about 45 minutes before my session. <laughs> and when I did my, my webinar about, you know, about 30 or 40 minutes into my webinar, I went to do the demo. And um, this is about an hour and a half after I had made my change. <laughs> now I'm on the, I'm on the U S East coast and I'm doing this at 11 o'clock during the day. So, you know, as far as in the United States, that's like a prime business hour. Yeah. And out of the blue, all of a sudden, modern web parts weren't showing up in a classic in my classic web pages. I was like, "This just worked an hour ago," and so I'm sitting there on the on the webinar, and someone's like, "Going, so when is it supposed to work?" I'm like, "I don't know. It was working an hour ago. I have no idea." So, you bring up a good challenge, a good question. Yeah, how are you going to be able to update training and stuff that fast? Um, I have a couple little tricks of things that I've learned on when you build courses and stuff. It's not as easy as just hey, sit down, go record a bunch of stuff, and then you're all good. Uh, I think for me, it's more uh, you you need to you, you build things in much more bite-sized chunks, and I use a lot of the different um, tools and services that are out there to monitor updates uh, when things come out and when there's uh, issues that are all that are hitting in different places, uh, to where I can easily see when when new things are causing challenges with people. Um, what that allows me to do is it allows me to then first see the challenges that are coming up that people are having, but then it also allows you to, to react to them. And sometimes it requires, you know, redoing an entire video. Uh, sometimes though, it can be as simple as just adding a comment. Uh, so mine, to me, I like, I like teaching developers because developers understand things like change logs and they understand things like, you know, commit history or whatever. And so, I, my courses are going to have a, a change log in them. And when there's an issue, then there'll always be a way to, you know, log an issue. Here's how you resolve it. Like for instance, in the SharePoint framework, uh, I think it's about three weeks ago, we had uh, something upstream that had nothing to do with SharePoint, nothing to do with Microsoft. Somebody updated a type definition file uh, for a library that Microsoft was taking a dependency on. Okay. And they were doing it to provide a new feature. The problem was, is that he followed, the guy that made that update, uh, for those of you who are, are familiar with what I'm talking about, it's the low dash um, type definition issue that we ran into. And if the person that made the update, he did everything he was supposed to do. He followed all the rules according to the site where he was updating the, def the definition from. But Microsoft had made an assumption on how versioning worked with that site that totally broke it for everyone. Well, it was a, it was a, everyone was kind of stopped dead in their tracks. The resolution was incredibly simple. And you know, does that require going and republishing all the documentation and all that kind of stuff? It's like, well, no. I mean, I think the developers, you have to be a little resourceful. Something breaks, go start searching for it. Maybe you're the first one to find it. Not likely, but maybe you are. Post an issue in, a, in, a, in an issue thread uh, or an issue form where, you, where uh, it makes the most sense. In this case, it's, it's in an issue on a GitHub repo and see what other people say. And sure enough, I mean that you know issue number 394 was heavily referenced in Twitter and emails and blog feeds and everywhere to fix this. I mean it was it was a super simple fix, but it was exacerbated by a lot of stuff we talked about earlier. That it's a new environment, new dev tool chain for a lot of these guys. So they were like, I have no idea what's going on. SharePoint's broken. Like, no, SharePoint's not broken. Something else is broken. It's causing this. You can just revert back a version. You're all good. So. All knowledge, all education. I think it's it's all about communication and making it, reducing the friction as much as possible, for it to, to be able to make it easy to work. Okay. So how do people get hold of you, by the way? So the best way to get hold your your 
your courses and all of those things? Sure. So best way to find me is I'm just at Andrew Connell on Twitter or my blog is at andrewconnell.com. Um, the business that I started, I, you know, I could have put it under my own site, but I wanted to have it something separate that I could point people to. Uh, it's called Voitanos. That's V-O-I-T-A-N-O-S, uh, Voitanos.io. And if you go to that site, um, hopefully by the time that you uh, – when this, this this episode is published, things clean up because it looks like uh, their CDN has, had a, has completely uh, fallen over as my site looks terrible right now. <laughs> um, but the uh, – uh, if you go there, there's a, um, all the information about where you can sign up for my newsletter, my mailing list and stuff, and find out the latest information about the courses. Um, I'm working on one course right now about the SharePoint framework. If you sign up for the mailing list about the SharePoint framework uh, on my on Voitanos.io, uh, I'm going to offer special discounts and deals to people who are on the mailing list when it actually goes live and we open up the, the shopping cart. Uh, and then if you want that, you know, a free resource, if you're, if you're a SharePoint developer and you want to learn about the SharePoint development tool chain, just go to the homepage. There's a little widget that'll pop up at the bottom of the page. that says, Hey, there's a free email course, sign up here. And over the course of 10 days, I will get you up to speed on the dev tool chain. It takes about five minutes a day over a course of about 10 days. And it will just get delivered straight to you. I'm getting really, really good feedback from this. Um, Someone actually told me that it was actually it was um, one of the emails in that course was better than 99% of the sessions he went to at Ignite. So that was I was like, hey, that's fantastic. Uh, but you paid for Ignite, you didn't pay for this, so we got to flip that around. <laughs> and they paid quite a bit for Ignite as well. Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. All right. Well, it, it's yeah. great finally chatting to you after um, knowing about you for for a really long time, and. We, we could probably talk for about another 40 minutes just on some of the questions I have. And also, um, Rod, who's not on the call right now, has for you around where you're going with a whole bunch of stuff and, and, and all of that. But Rod's committed me to convincing you that you have to come on the show in a couple of months again. Um, because Absolutely. Wants, I'd love to. He wants to chat to you as well. And you should actually jump on a plane and come visit South Africa in October when it's SharePoint Saturday month. Um, oh, hey. We'll I'd love to. We'll definitely take it offline and, and have a conversation. But thanks a lot for joining us. And I'm sure the the listeners, um, we're going to attract a completely different user base now that we finally started uh, having real dev people on the show. Absolutely. I'm glad I could be here. I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I hope I'd love to, love to interact with some of your audience. And I'd love to come back and uh, talk to you guys again sometime in the future. Great stuff. And I see all the cool the cool kids have a .io address now, not just a normal .com or .biz or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you go to if you go to any of those other .coms or .biz or .net, they all end up at the .io one. So it was just for a, sure. Now I've seen that over the last two three months. All the cool stuffs on .io now. <laughs> you know, you gotta love it too, right? So we have all these different domains, and so everyone's like, "Well, I had to get this domain because it's the only one available." But then when you find one that's available, you go buy all the other ones up. So it's like, what was the point of this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those domain orders. I think of a domain name, I register it, and I buy five different variations of it. <laughs> See, it's funny you say that. I did that, and uh, I have a bunch of mine that are expiring, I think, this month or, or in the next month, where um, probably the one that your listeners are most familiar with is uh, SharePoint by day, SharePoint by night. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, where I, I did. I started the whole SharePoint thing, and we were a whole plan to stamp a site and everything about that, and now it's just kind of come around to, yeah, I don't have any time for that. I'm just going to let that domain go. So. <laughs> All right, great. Well, I'm sure we'll catch up soon, and thanks a lot for the call. Absolutely. Thank you. Cheers, cheers. Killer interview, Al. I'm so sorry I couldn't be there for that.
Yeah, you missed out quite a bit. Eh? I mean, and like I said earlier on, I finally know what the SharePoint framework is. Yeah, man. It makes complete sense. Andrew, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on. And I do hope you'll join us at some point in the future. And it was his birthday. And it was his birthday. Now, that's that's dedication to the industry, hey? Doing a podcast on your birthday. Well, apparently he was lined up for three. <laughs> <laughs> we were number two. We got the second slot. So. <laughs> that's incredible. All right. So, uh, our next segment is In the News. Yeah, we've actually got quite a bit, so we'll run through it pretty briskly. What you got up first, Al? There's some really cool updates coming from Microsoft over the last... Well, man, we can't keep on saying over the last because every week there's some new stuff. So um, the first one on our radar, and people, if you actually get your Office 365 tenant news updates, this is the easiest way to get the news. You don't have to wait and listen to us to have the conversation because quite a few of the things that we will be talking about with some of the tidbits that we actually extract is from that list. So the first one I'd like to talk about is the Visio update for Office 365. So depending on what skew you're on, you might qualify for Visio. And it's actually quite a cool update. So back in the old days, uh, when we used to spin up SQL, you could reverse engineer a database. So you could see the table structure, a proper ERD diagram, and all of those things. Okay. And what you now have with Wizard is the reverse, well, with Visio, is the reverse engineer Wizard add-in um, is available as a plugin. So you so, can so you can point it at a environment and it will return the the layout for you. Yeah, it'll build your ERD. It'll build an ERD diagram or a database model from an existing database in Visio. That's super cool. So for the devs out there that need to draft diagrams, although if you actually bought um, SQL Docket, you wouldn't have to because it would do it for you. <laughs> uh, but now you, you actually, get a similar thing in Visio. That's super yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, a, lot of, a lot of techies are asked to um, build ERD diagrams of existing databases um, without having to, and also not so, many, not, not so much the SQL DBAs because they can generally go into um, SQL Management Studio and I, I'm sure there was an ERD thing there. Although I'm not a DBA, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. But yeah, very cool tool, easily accessible, and it will spit out some nice diagrams for you in the flavor of Visio, which is always cool when it comes to the, the niceties of the stencils that they have. Uh, the next bit of the news we got is that the SharePoint framework, I guess we got a bit of a theme this week, um, has gone to general availability. So the dev cycle for it is complete. So I know some devs occasionally throw up their hands in frustration, I guess, when the when the model changed and, and the stuff they'd already bolted uh, ceased working, but it's now, gen it's now got a general availability, so there won't be those large changes anymore. I think this is the inherent problem, and Andrew alluded to it in the interview around we spoke ad nauseum on over the last three months about, okay, so um, Teams, GA, and uh, Power Apps, and Flow, GA, and all the other GAs, and people, strangely enough, if you remember, with Power Apps and Flow, in the designer, um, it would point to preview.powerapps.com. Yeah. Uh, or was it preview.flow.com? You would have to, after it went GA, you could import your previous flows into your GA available 
um, flow studio. Yeah. And sure. some people actually lost their flows. But people need to realize when something is a CTP mode or in beta, don't expect to go build a world based on it. And then when the product releases, that little feature that you add or they've added an extra decimal point to something and it breaks, don't be surprised. Yeah, like the, those, the previews are not meant for uh, production systems. You you wait you wait for the general availability before you start considering or even V one you know not, not V because yeah. a lot of times we've seen it before I think it was with SQL twenty twelve um, it RTM'd and the version that they put up on MSDN for download was broken so analysis services installer would not install <laughs> and people downloaded it when it went when it RTM'd. And a month later, Microsoft put up a different ISO saying, we apologize. So be wary of what you're actually downloading and deploying at customer. Yeah, you should always do your testing first. So what, what's next in the news, Al? I'm excited about this one. So remember in the old MOS days, you had content and what was it called? There was a tab when you went to the settings uh, there was a section that says all content or something. I can't remember what it was. Or manage content and structure, that one. And you were able to go into it and it would give you a tree view of SharePoint. And sure. you'd be able to select items and move it around between um, libraries and sites and those sort of things. Super you remember handy. that? Yeah, super yeah. handy. You now have that sort of file management capability in modern SharePoint libraries. So they've extended that... Uh, to the cloud, and I think there was some similar features, but you can now copy files of up to 500 megs between team sites. Is that the size of the file or the, the, the amount, the full no, amount of files? So I can copy a 500 megabyte file. Yes, I can copy yes. three of those. I think you can, or you, I'm not sure. I'll have to check. Um, you're putting me on the spot, Mr. Modlin. Sorry, Bree. I think you can copy files up to 500 megs between team sites. So it's not like you can go plan a migration. <laughs> yeah. It's not for that, but you can move files around between team sites. That's super and handy. I think it's copy files, file sizes up to 500 megs. That is super handy. Nice to be able to move those around. If a team site is, like if it's a project site for whatever reason, and now you need to get all those project documents out to a new place, this is how you can do it. This is actually a gap in in the in the governance infrastructure that this plugs quite nicely well you could always just buy fpoint or you could buy fpoint i think that's that's also a big thing right now is fpoint's changed their model uh, people still think of fpoint as a migration tool it's arguably the best migration tool out there uh, then you you pay for the ferrari and they are bringing out some 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 newer tooling around that so that they're more competitive with sharegate but their compliance and their governance and their records management tools are phenomenal. Their management and governance tools are incredible. That's that's the where the majority of the value lies, really. And generally, if you are selling customer new functionality or even just looking at proper governance, there's only one product to go for. And in actual fact, you should be selling a subset of Avpoint with every implementation so that you don't get to two years down the line and you've got this crazy site sprawl all over the show. And the nice thing is 
Docker have actually plugged into Office 365 as well. So you can manage those features with the same finesse that you're used to managing your on-prem stuff. Yeah, the next one, Office 365 connected Yammer groups. Microsoft have continued their mission of bringing everything into the into the Yam, into the groups fold. So Yammer's fully integrated there now, which is nice. Look, last night we actually sat on the monthly collab talk session with Christian Buckley. Yeah. And it was all about groups in Office 365. Okay. It really it really is the heart of everything that's going on. It all starts from the groups creation. Look, I'd, I've got serious issues with groups. Okay? Like serious, serious issues. Why? When Yammer was released, okay, when Microsoft bought Yammer and said drink the Yammer Kool-Aid, okay, the reason why enterprise content management systems and this collaborative ecosystem exists is because for the last 10 years, Microsoft and other ECM vendors were saying, do not store content in Outlook. Move your conversations out of Outlook and into a content repository so that you have retained the IP and no, you, you're all the at, You're looking at it wrong. You're looking at groups as just that email. Yes. You're looking yes. at groups as just that email gathering thing. That's not what it is at all. It's the, it, it's the permission group that you use to provide services, all, all the different services. So a Teams instance, a Planner instance, a SharePoint Teams site, a Yammer group, they're all centered around that group. So you create a group, and as well as tracking all the emails that have to do with this group, it's also tracking everything else through all of these other tools. Right? I so just, when, when you create I... a Yammer group, it creates the 0365 group, which creates your uh, SharePoint site. So you get your document library and your OneNote. It also creates a planner instance. I'm pretty sure if, if um, I don't think uh, they're currently provisioning a Teams instance as well, but I'm sure that will come as well. And no, as, mo as more of these, as more of this functionality becomes like, they, they roll out more functionality, they'll also tie it into that group. So that's that's your starting point for access to all these different things, I no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. So, yes. so what's your alternative? Your alternative well, is I have people grouped together in Teams and people grouped together in Yammer, and I've got this SharePoint site, um, and I've got this OneNote that everybody's sharing, and this Planner thing, and they're all keeping their own permissions. So I have to control the permissions in in all the different places. No, it's not that. I'm or not, I can I'm have this about, one location. I'm talking about the mail component. So I like the you, fact you, that you're, you're shooting a, this. You're shooting down this giant thing because it also does mail consolidation. I'm shooting it down because it does mail consolidation. People still use email, Al. It's completely important. understand that. Yes, but then don't try and force feed me another product because you're telling me that. I'm actually gonna. Write a blog post that says, email is dead, long live email. Because that's where it's gone to now. We've gone full circle now. So email is dead, use Yammer instead for conversation. Threads and all of this. This is why there's threaded conversation views in Absolutely. all enterprise social products. And now Microsoft is saying, 
it's, it, I don't like the message. The message is wrong. They just confuse more people. When teams came out, people were going, so what do we use? Groups? Or do we use Yammer? Or do we use teams? Or do you, we you use know? all of it, Al. That's, you, you, you use the full suite. Like email has its place. Yeah, but and the the vast majority of office workers are in that space, and they are doing that. Okay, so you it. you I have to it. cater for it, or else you're going to lose a bunch of this information. So anyway, just let's in closing, I agree to disagree. So some of the features that you need to make sure that's enabled in order for you to get your Office three six five connected Yammer groups experience, uh, bearing in mind that it's one Yammer network per tenant, so you can't go create four thousand. Yammer networks, it's the tenant is tied to your domain name. Yes, but you and do it, get the various streams in that. Oh, well, each you can group, create, you, you, each can group create. you create will get a separate Yammer Yes, but just the way it, it's a one-to-one association. Also, you need to enable or enforce Office 365 identities so that you've got single sign-up. Yep. And you've already mentioned everything else that comes with that. Yes, you get all this extra added functionality. Yeah, it's great. Look at that document library with no content types in. Ooh. Yeah, you can you can make you can add content types. That's a Later, starting package. Yes. Yeah. That's a well, starting package. Okay. And you can't script that either, unless you know what PowerShell scripts to create to do that. Yeah. All right. Next on the list. Um, yeah, Microsoft. We've spoken a couple times before about their research into AI and uh, real-time conversational interactions with PCs, and Microsoft are releasing a new Cortana skills kit, just like um, uh, Alexa and Google. Yeah, so Amazon's at the forefront of this. I mean, they opened up their skills kit right in the beginning, and that's why they are crashing everyone in the space. So Google's got about 100 skills. Alexa's got over a thousand skills. I'm glad to see that Microsoft's caught up and starting to release a, well, have released a, a Cortana skills kit. Um, but I don't think they'll be able to play catch up to Amazon because Alexa's so far ahead. I mean, well, I it, a, it's got a bunch of skills, but Microsoft can do things that Amazon can't really. Um, I beg to differ. Okay. It's the other way around. So the nice thing about, so you can go create your own skill. So remember, we're going to create a skill where you can say to Alexa, she's not listening to me right now, but Alexa, play... Story of your life, eh? Yeah, she just lit up like a Christmas tree now when she heard her name. Love you, darling. We'll be able to, you'd be able to play, ask Alexa to play Two Guys in SharePoint, and it will play um, the latest episode. That's awesome. That's super cool. And in other news, moving away from um, this Microsoft world... Uh, Amazon, well, AWS was down yesterday. <laughs> Everything broke. It broke yeah. the internet yesterday. It did break. The, it broke half the internet. So we know for a fact that Medium, the blogging platform, is hosted in AWS because it was broken yesterday. And look, they're making the right noises. Uh, AWS is starting to want to compete against Office 365 and, and Google G Suite, which is actually not too bad. And they've just launched Amazon Chime, which is a Skype for Business competitor. Yeah, so, so they're, they're doing their own mail and document creation uh, thing. Look, they've got, uh, Amazon's got some, they've got a work docs and they've got work mail. Yeah. So that's like 
Google Drive and um, yep. Exchange. Yep. And now they're adding all the other bits, like you get with uh, the Google G Suite. Strangely enough, I've actually, I actually own a Google G Suite, a G Suite subscription. Um, I've got a client that's moving off Microsoft, and they're going G Suite, and they want to go to Workflow Cloud. So it's very exciting. Okay, that is that is interesting. That's certainly interesting. I like the Microsoft stack. I think it's super tight. The integration is sick. You can get it on all different platforms. Um, it works. Look, price point comparison, Office 365 kills it in functionality. Yeah. So with the Google G Suite, you get mail. And you might add six MX records and presto, your, your domain is sorted. Microsoft's got more because they add all the Skype stuff and the Skype for Business stuff with the SIP gateways and those things. Although I'm not very happy with Microsoft right now because my Outlook just great. I still have not had any issues with mine. I think it's, uh, it's you know why? It's because you were shouting about email earlier. Like it's getting back at you. I walked in this evening, switched my, my, my primary PC on, and it started bitching, oh, it's corrupt this and system resources are low. I want to die. I, I think it's you, bro. It's not me. It's happened to everyone last week, and now it's just faltered through to me. Yeah. Anyhow, moving along. So the not-so-new find of the week, which is our latest segment, um, I want to talk about a not-so-new find. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because we actually used it recording and Andrew's conversation, and I am super impressed with Skype for Business recordings. So we had a 47-minute conversation. It recorded in MP4, pristine quality. Rod, you need to check what sort of quality, what's the, the bitrate on that. But it was one meg per minute. Now, I've known that Lynx had some really, really good compression. I didn't expect it to be that great. And it's a definite top tip. If you want to record, use Skype for Business to record any audio. It is beautiful. Very cool. Yeah. And that's my new find of the week. Very cool. Then we're on to our last segment, which is the PowerShell commandlet of the week. And this week's PowerShell commandlet is set SP site administration. What does it do, Modlin? So what this does is this commandlet will allow a farm admin account to configure some of the settings on a site collection, even if it doesn't it hasn't been granted explicit permissions to that collection. That, so, that sounds, yeah. Um, well, you're the farm administrator, right? So it's it's the high level switches that you're toggling here. So we'll, we'll just go through the parameters and you can see what sort of stuff we can change. You need to pass it an identity, obviously. So it's the URL or good of a site collection. You can set the administration site type. So either none or tenant. If you're running a tenanted environment, you can set that across. Um, you can use it in scripting. So it's got an assignment collection. You can set the lock state on the site collection okay, so you can cool. read only it or no access it you can set the maximum storage size you can set the owner of the site uh, the secondary owner you can uh, specify the site group to get the site collections you can set the template you can set the web template for the top level site of the collection but can you, o- so only you can if, change it only if the template hasn't already been configured obviously so like when you're if if you're automating creating a bunch of site collections, you can use this to then set the set the template while you're creating them. 
you can set a warning size for the number of sites in the site collection before the that goes off. So that toggle. It's just it's a play on words, mate. It's it's a false positive. If you're the farm administrator, it doesn't matter if you haven't been given permissions to the site. You still all the original gangster of that farm, and you can yes. do whatever the hell you want to do. Exactly. You are the farm administrator. So with this commandlet, you can change all of those without having to go through. Yeah, that's interesting. Eh? Um, I'd love to know from our listeners, and big shout out to our listeners, because our popularity ratings on iTunes is through the roof. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, we're super stoked to have everyone listen to us. And um, yeah, I wonder how many I'd love for our listeners to write into us and, and give us a heads up on how many people actually use PowerShell as proactively as we talk about it every week on the show. Yeah, I know, like, I I do often use PowerShell. I try to use it when I'm changing these sort of things because often if I'm maintaining an environment for a long time, that this isn't the sort of thing, unless you're scripting in an installation, it's not the thing, the sort of thing you do on a short-term engagement. But if you're maintaining a system over a long time, often these sorts of issues that you'd deal with multiple times, you could script it. And so the first time you have to do it, you make a PowerShell script to do it. And then every subsequent time you have to do it, it's really easy. You can run a command and it yeah. happens. I suppose if you're administering a two, three, four thousand user a farm, you can get a lot more done with scripting than trying to navigate. Yeah. And also stuff like at the moment, the project I'm working on, we're working on testing uh, workflows that are triggered by a dump out of CRM. And so when we're doing a wave of testing, we need to go and delete all the items that have been created and clear all the workflows out. And that would be a super laborious process if you're doing it manually. But you can write a script and you can clear it all out in 10 minutes. True, eh? that is true. Anyhow, is that it, Mr. Modlin? Are we done for the day? That is all for today. So thank you to our listeners. You can get us online at twoguysandsharepoint.co.za. We're also on Twitter at twoguysharepoint. I'm also on Twitter at oddmodlin and Al. I'm at Alistair Pugin. Thank you all very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. French. It's okay to use um, email. I like, I like how you swear about your swearing.